0: Well I'm Tom Barbelay. Uh I've gathered together a collective sites and projects and various other things artificial life related uh that I've done up until now. Nova Lake's my primary project I've been working on for the past sixteen years. Uh the bio podcasts. Have you any of you heard the bio podcasts? Any of you familiar with them? Okay. okay. Terrific. Start. Uh Freshin was a um a forum that was gathered together because we couldn't use the main bio site. And um, I've heard a couple of you, at least, from the new Netflix, which is kind of our workbook. So I'm also the chair of the International Society of Artificial Life uh, Industry Outreach Group. So did any of you get a sense of what this is going to be about today? Always a good start. Okay. <laughs> Perhaps I should have started a little earlier. Uh, about three years ago, I started an independent work group associated with Artificial Life and Industry and artificial life in academia, and basically bringing the two together. Through my work with Noble 8, um, working with Apple and Intel primarily, uh, I had a keen sense of what some of the industry needs were for artificial life, and I thought that basically what was being taught in artificial life curriculum didn't really mesh with the two. So I um, started a series of recordings, basically, bringing together people like Matt Badeau, uh, Larry Yeager, a wide variety of people who were teaching Artificial Life courses, uh, and talked about the kind of problems that occurred in industry and what it actually meant uh, to be developing Artificial Life in industry. And this workshop uh, was the start of that idea, basically. So I think not get to the last Artificial Life conference, uh, but this is the, the first workshop. So You are the workshop. Uh the workshop is being recorded. Uh the audio is going to be used and presented in the public form. Um, if you don't feel comfortable about being recorded, uh you don't want to talk about artificial light in industry or your own experiences or these kind of things, please feel free to either sit up the back or uh you know do what you want to do. But I would prefer if people uh move forward and we kind of became a an active and contributive group um, because basically all your insights are uh, are okay. going to be very useful. So I think I've given the, the warnings to disclose. If you don't want to mention your full name, uh, you use your first name. If you prefer not to mention uh, the industry or the area if you work in, um, you know you don't have to. Uh, but um, you probably will want to start contributing once the discussion gets going. So uh, please consider that. So this is the proposed structure. As you probably didn't get a sense of what this was going to be about. I didn't get a sense of how many people would be attending or the general skill set that would be available here. Um, so this is the proposed structure. I'm willing to take this considerably more free form, uh, but basically uh, initially just a general show of hands of, of who we are, uh folks who want to give introductions and experiences associated with artificial life in industry or potentially uh, teaching artificial life for industry. And then we'll work through a couple of problems um, that I identified through the, uh, the early work group and also talk about the quality of life for artificial life developers in industry. Uh, then the only real deliverable associated with this workshop are the skills required. For uh, general skills, uh, skills in soft artificial life, skills in hard artificial life, and skills in web artificial life, in order to continue on uh, into industry. And these deliverables basically will be given to the next presentation. Uh, following this one, the next workshop, uh, which will be associated with the teaching of artificial life for industry. And then, hopefully, from the group gathered together today, uh, we will have a few folk who are sufficiently interested to kind of continue on this discussion and this thought, and hopefully this will become a reoccurring workshop at the Artificial Life Conferences, where we can give updates and some discussion, we can bring new people in, uh, we can ask for, uh, for folks to speak and these kind of things, uh, because certainly Mark of those vision, and this is carried on to the... Uh, the new, uh, society board, uh, is that, uh, artificial life and industry be, become one of the, uh, the focuses, uh, of the International Society of Artificial Life. So, with that aside. So, no introductions initially, just a general show of hands. Uh, who here works in industry? It's a good start, okay? <laughs> who here is an academic? Very good. Uh, any students here? Very good, okay. Uh, combination, okay, since we've not got the industry. In terms of our general interests, soft artificial life? Okay, soft artificial life is artificial life in software, hard artificial life is artificial life in robotics, and wet artificial life is the emerging field of, uh, you know, wet artificial life. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, soft artificial life? Okay, Half. okay, very good. Hard uh, artificial life, okay, very good. With artificial life, very interesting, okay. So I'll be looking to you for that part in particular. And in terms of artificial life in your profession, uh, how much of you do artificial life full-time? Okay, okay, very good. Part-time, okay, and not at all. Very good.
1: Depends on a cool. broad definition of artificial life
0: here. Yes. Well, that's that, <laughs> funny enough. Uh, I believe. Oh, okay. We're going to go through the introductions and experiences first. Why don't we do that and then we'll get to the definitions. So, um, I'll start with me. I'm Tom Barblay. I work for Netflix. A small portion of my work for Netflix relates to artificial life, but a large portion of my after hours time relates to my artificial life project, Note Light, doing things like biota and these kind of things. Uh, I've had a varied set of experiences, which I will no doubt talk about through the process of the, uh, the like I said, I've worked with Apple and Intel, I've worked with people at Google, um, a wide variety of these kind of software companies and, and small startups associated with primarily uh, adopting and using Mobile 8, uh, but also other experiences as well. So,
2: would you like to start? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my name is Aaron. I'm, I'm a postdoc here at MSU and I've, I've been working with... Uh,
3: the Avita Digital Evolution Platform for evolving um, complex behavior. Um, but my background is actually in carnival biology.
0: Do you get a sense of the in industry?
4: We're so I, I, I'm here because I don't have uh, a sense of any evolutionary application. Great. I, really I would like to. Very good. Um, I'm in a somewhat similar
2: position. I'm a, I'm a graduate student.
1: talking about evolution or using it as an instruction aid, We're talking about biological evolution. So, um, yeah, but I'm very interested in learning more about, you know, applications to industry and to those sorts of questions. True. I'm Josh. Uh, I'm a Ph.D. candidate at the uh, University of Vermont, and I primarily worked on involving uh, simulated robot bodies and brains. So, yeah, also, and no conception of how artificial life is quite an industry. Terrific. Hello. I'm Z from the uh, University of Texas at Austin.
5: I'm interested in emergent behaviors, analogous to life, like um, reaction diffusion, kind of formation system, and more particularly using DNA as a substrate to program those reactions. Yeah, back then I'm interested in this, I have no idea how i interested in it, how, how,
4: how is the biochemistry. I'm Peter, I'm from the University of Texas at Austin as well. Uh, my interests are very similar to Z's and we work in the same lab, working on pattern generation applications of DNA nanotechnology to building complex reaction networks um, that mimic life in the hope of uh, moving toward artificial life. Um, I have no experience in the industry, I have a an academic interest in entrepreneurship how this sort of information can be applied to entrepreneurship seems like a really important question, but I have no answers. Terrific. Uh, I'm Micah. I'm just a tinkerer, more or less. Um, I just develop um, on my own uh, ecosystem simulations, more or less. Everything with plants, little animals, you know, back down to bacteria, that kind of stuff.
0: Great. Technology. Are you coming to the hobbyist? Yes. Terrific. Pretty good.
4: Hi, I'm Jared. I'm an undergrad at UC Austin. Most of my experience has been with the A-Life, or with not with A-Life, with the Avita platform, working on um, local adaptations and stuff like that. My name is Art Covert, and I am a useless scientist, but I also teach a year-long research course, and uh, I'm here mostly to try and build connections with industry so that maybe I can find some more applied projects for some of my students who are interested in that.
1: Very good.
3: Uh, my I know. um I think mostly mm-hmm. are um, I think already. I'm trying to figure out how one makes connections to uh, the
1: real world
5: I'm very good uh, I'm I'm mm-hmm. uh, I work from evolution of sex evolution of cooperation using AVIDA and now ABLE and others. A-life. I don't know much about A life in industry other than random people I've met at conferences who I've heard work in industry, but it wasn't always clear what exactly A life like they're doing there.
0: Certainly. That will be a topic of discussion. My name
3: is i
2: So. I'm Brian. I'm a graduate student at UC. I'm a sort of really hardcore wet lab person and sort of here to absorb <coughs> the conversation as well, about you know, industry and artificial life and you know, maybe where wet lab can sort of get incorporated. My name is Amanda.
1: I'm David Diambrosio. I'm a postdoc at the University of Central Florida with uh, Ken Stanley. And I do work with um, evolving multi-robot, multi-agent systems. Uh, and I, after my postdoc, I'm looking to get into industry, so I'm kind of here to get a sense of how my stuff could be applied to industry, where looking for stuff like this. Is here? Yeah, Ken here? Yeah, Ken's wonderful, wonderful. So, um,
0: Kim created Neat and pipe neat, uh and both are really strong. Uh, I'm not sure of the a- outreach into industry currently with it, but I think they're both really strong projects uh, in terms of that. Um, and certainly I've spoken with Ken and Jeff Kloon and a variety of other folk, um, mm-hmm. master students, a variety of folks that have used to use and hyper um, Anyway. So, now we get to the interesting part. In terms of the definitions, artificial life, Anyone want to take a stab at Okay, so let's <laughs> start with Chris Langton, Life as a quickly. And now there are a variety of definitions, uh, but what you'll find in industry, oftentimes, is it's artificial life as it's most recently used in the media. So there is a definitional problem that comes into the context of artificial life, but Certainly, from my experience, it's a broad and ever-expanding definition. So, certainly, everything that you've described in the room today would be classified as I life quite comfortably. And in terms of industry, we've had a number of definitions that have kind of floated through. Um, anyone to give a broad definition of what industry might mean in this context? non Non-academics. Non-academics. very good. <coughs> in real life, very good. <laughs> You'd hope. not always. Okay. So the first problem that uh, I discussed, and it started with the discussion with Mark Badeau and Liz Swan and various other philosophers of artificial life, was what I termed as the value problem. And that problem, explicitly stated, is for an external observer, i.e. not someone who spends days tinkering with artificial life, what is the value of artificial life? And I think in terms of the classification and use in industry, it's really important, particularly from an academic perspective, to have a sense of what value means in this context. It's not an ethereal term. It's something that's absolutely uh, applicable uh, to industry. So my experience has certainly been in terms of introducing artificial life to uh, groups that have a varied degree of interest, uh, but have an existing set of solutions, which are non-artificial life based, and introducing artificial life solutions into uh, their environment. Or, uh, you know, some pluses, some minuses. But it is always in the context of what is currently being used. So um, in the case of uh, Neat, for example, in game development, there are already existing AI engines out there that uh, do a set of tasks, uh, but aren't necessarily based in artificial life. And if you were to introduce Neat, for example, into that environment, you would need to already understand what those um, those AI engines uh, were doing and how Neat could be used explicitly associated with that. So there's really two extremes in terms of uh, integrating artificial life into industry or getting artificial life adopted into industry. The first is really my experience currently at Netflix, and that is through evolution, through a series of very slow intricate comparison tests associated with what they have currently in order to show the advantages, basically, of the artificial life systems. And the other option, which is kind of the startup Is, uh is to create something which is distinctly different uh, and try to show it uh, in terms of what exists currently well with relatively high risk uh, but hopefully going into industry that uh, favors uh, you know risk but uh, high reward results so in terms of this uh, this context from for example I mean uh, in the initial introduction over here there was a general discussion of uh, not really having a sense of how, um, I think it was a video in this context, would be used in industry specifically. So for a thought experiment, as most of us are interested in soft artificial life, let's take a company like Google, for example. So what is Google's primary business? Very good. And how do they work their advertising model? Targeted advertising. So, how do you think Artificial Life would be able to assist with targeted advertising? What is the nature of the user interaction with Google's targeted ads? They
4: either click it or they don't. They either click it or they don't. But they're getting better now because they have their streaming video ads that you can skip or not. So, not only do they, they have at least three levels of feedback, you have did you watch the? Follow the link through the video. So four different possibilities. Your so, opt-in
0: strategies Certainly. So in terms of say avita how could that be used to solve this problem with government? They can
5: try to figure out uh, based on their previous history um, what, what, is it, what is the most likely thing that they will click on? What do you want to show them? So you can try to to optimize um, the things you're
0: showing them to their preferences. So this is basically how artificial life is integrated into industry. It can come through a variety of factors, but it's solving these kind of problems. You have a problem where there is an existing solution, you have a potential artificial life solution, you tailor the artificial life solution to the problem, and you integrate it into industry. The latter part is the hardest part. It's relatively easy actually to create a model to solve that kind of problem, and then demonstrate it and do what you need to do. But actually getting the company to adopt the solution, particularly in a company the size of Google, is really the difficult part and we'll get to that later on. So can I ask a question?
3: So you described two two methods, the evolution mm-hmm. and the revolution. Is recombination not a possibility? Certainly. It's an
0: extreme and there's there's gradation between without question. And ultimately, if you're working with a very small company or you're forming a startup or doing these kind of things, you're probably going to be more towards the revolution end. If you're integrating in a larger company or bringing your skill set into a larger company, it's going to be a very slow, progressive process. But there is a kind of critical point where it reaches, you know, critical mass, basically. And it's very interesting actually to watch artificial life projects into um, large companies in particular. And certainly that's been my experience. So the second problem, which is probably not quite applicable to the general group here is the notion of the acknowledgement problem, which is that you it once you're sensitive to the processes that or the body of work that is contemporary artificial life, and you see various solutions occur which are clearly artificial life solutions or clearly inspired by artificial life, they're very rarely described as artificial life solutions because, well, it's two it's a two part problem. Firstly, artificial life as a general term isn't used very well um, in a kind of broader press and community and similarly artificial life developers are not necessarily as proactive as they need to be associated with referencing acknowledgement. You see this, more, well I see this most because I'm familiar with probably working game development. So um, are any of you familiar with the game Flow that came out on PlayStation 3 maybe three or four years ago? Okay, so very good. <laughs> so um, looking at Flow I was immediately caught by, uh, Jeffrey Ventrella's work. Are we familiar with Jeffrey Ventrella's work? Very good, very good. And the thing about Flow was also that I knew that, uh, Todd Fomansky, who was at USC at the time, uh, published a paper that was directly next to, or chapter, that was directly next to a chapter in Jeffrey Ventrella's, of Jeffrey Ventrella's in, uh, Artificialized Software Solutions, I think, or something like that. Uh, it was an Adam Mansky book that came out. And funnily enough, Jenova Chen also worked with Todd Fimansky at USC. And when Flow came out, it was just slightly inspired by, but slightly too much associated with Jeffrey Ventrella's work, certainly in my own eyes. And at the time, uh, I'm, I'm pretty close with Jeffrey Ventrella, we had a long discussion associated with the work, he decided that it wasn't worth doing anything proactive in the slide. But I think basically if USC, well, if USC had had a slightly more proactive vision, Associated with uh, academic integrity and all these other kinds of things, then the reference would have been made. And rather than the publicity engine that came out associated with Flow being a unique work and incredible and having absolutely nothing to do with body of work that was artificial life, perhaps some reference associated with Ventrella's work could have be been wrapped in. Jeffrey Ventrella, um, in terms of his body of work, uh, particularly associated with avatars, but also the fluid flow movement, a lot of his early walking work, you just see everywhere in that development. And basically, you have a series of industries in game development I see very much in the Hollywood model, in terms of basically no attribution. Hollywood, if you think of the way films are made, they're constantly making references to previous films without explicitly acknowledging them. And unfortunately, that isn't the way that academia has worked historically, and certainly artificial life in the context of how it's affected a variety of things hasn't worked that way as well. So, my view with regards to the acknowledgement problem, and this is something that we've been actively discuss. Is that it's up to artificial life uh, practitioners within the industry to have a relatively good knowledge of the work. So when the work is used in some regard, it can be both attributed to the knowledge and actually basically strengthen both ends, uh, both the artificial life community and also uh, the groups that are using artificial life. In turn does anyone
4: have any other examples? Mm-hmm. More common. Does the I appreciate the value of making sure that you acknowledge the artificial life community and specific members of it, if for no other reason that that draws people more into that community to get that knowledge out. But does that open the players who acknowledge, say, oh, I built the software, I'd, I'd like to acknowledge that I took a lot of value from Ventrilla's from work? Does that then open up them to liability from use in the University of California to come up and say, well, we sure like Royalty? Is a problem? So, um,
0: part of the discussion to date uh, has been associated with open source and open source methodology. The International Society is, I think, quite far behind this discussion. But in terms of the of protection of practitioners, and Ventrilla is one of them, uh, the notion of attribution and royalty collection, all these kind of things, are tertiary, if not at all. So, I think in these, cons- in these points, basically most of us produce our work open source anyway. And um, in terms of academia, um, I, d- I don't think there's any there's any burden associated with that. But it is a good point, and it's a valid point that perhaps the community should acknowledge, not that we're looking to make money from this, but we're looking to actually strengthen the community. So um, you see also, uh, Will Wright is a good example as well. So Will Wright uh, has had a kind of lasting connection with the artificial life community. A lot of his elements in his games are artificial life-like, they may not be explicitly artificial life, and certainly with Spore, he stated on a number of occasions quite explicitly that this wasn't artificial life fundamentally. However, it would be wonderful to have someone like Will Wright actively acknowledging the community in a public sense, and also acknowledging the fact that he was very interested in attending and attending some artificial life conferences, and that basically the artificial life community actively inspired him. It would be very good for the artificial life community if that occurred. So, i I understand basically that acknowledgement could be seen in some regard associated with royalties and these kind of things, but we also need to probably make clear in terms of you know what we do that basically it's about you know it's about mutual growth or votes' rights basically. Um, so I think that is an acknowledged problem um, but again, the nature well in terms of intellectual property law it's actually far more dangerous to deny based on fear in terms of basically damages could be awarded anyway. So both from a practical decision, even if they were concerned in that regard, it's probably more dangerous for them not to acknowledge. But also, basically, I don't see the community as looking for, uh, necessarily. uh I was gonna say, don't you want it to be a plus
3: plus? I mean, so if the individual who's doing the, whatever it is that they're doing, if they get a benefit out of acknowledging the community, acknowledge the
1: community, if they don't get an
3: immediate benefit, then it's up to their conscience, whatever, societal membership view, and they may not perceive that, or it may not
0: might be so incremental as it not be, it might be negligible. Certainly. So, 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 so the and so. responsibility is on us, to to that as well. And so with
3: respect to that, A-life seems like a really bad... if I can continue
5: I don't acknowledge the community 90% of the time so I go to a lot of biology conferences and have been a lot in biology labs and if I'm at an evolution conference for example which is one of the big conferences in the field I don't say I work in artificial life Uh, partly because people don't know what it is it doesn't necessarily have good reputation Um, and partly because it's a method to me I tell people what is the questions that I'm working on, not the methods I'm using. The same way I wouldn't tell them I work with Drosophila, but I would say I work on I know, sexual selection. And then I would maybe say, yeah, okay, Drosophila, I don't.
0: But. So, in terms of the negative view of the community, would you like to characterize that? Not serious enough. So, it really is a complete catch-22 in this circumstance. Because in order to get serious, we need acknowledgement. And in order to get acknowledgement, sure. we need to be more serious, basically. I mean, part of it is I feel
5: also that speaking the language of the people I'm talking with. Uh, so I, c- I can educate people about their artificial life, but then there's, a, there's not always the time, and I don't have a personal benefit of always doing that. Sometimes it's just easier to put it in terms of, that they can understand quicker. So it's simulations and modeling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so in terms of, okay, so there are a number of components to that. What would it take for the community to do in order to change your use of the
3: term this a better <laughs> Okay. Well, probably what someone will have. So a possible outcome would be that someone would either figure out a better moniker, become particularly successful, have a new name. That name will sweep, a periodic selection of that, and everybody will start using that name, even if they don't use that particular system. And that name will be general. So the
0: name problem is very interesting, and certainly in terms of doing audio recordings and internet radio and radio and all these kind of things, the name problem is a kind of, it's a continuously raised topic, and you get some amazingly good names which are very, very small and grouped, and you get names which are broad and are then turned, and artificial life itself as a term has been turned, you know, quite rapidly uh, in terms of external work that's done as well. But with the view that we don't have a new name currently, and if we do have a new name, you're probably going to see exactly the same problems associated with the new name. This is a conference that's been run for, what, 26 years now. The term is associated with at least some body of work. How do you think we can... re? Well, rebranding is a problematic term because, on one sense, if we find a new name, we can all move to the new name it's so much better. But probably for at least the past decade I've had serious discussions with people associated with a new name. Artificial nature has come up, the term artificial is problematic. You go through these constant cycles and you know what happens? We all get older. <laughs> Time goes on, funnily enough. And we're still at the same problem associated with the name. I think whether you call it A life, artificial life, whatever you call it, the name is here. It represents the group.
3: You just need to have some thing that's already that is successful. Mm-hmm. Right? And people will say, I want to figure that success, right? That's stably successful. So Craig so this work, if, for example. If Xbox was called A-Line, mm-hmm. if people think that Xbox is successful. then they call themselves A-Line, mm-hmm.
0: even though it might never. There, right? so there, there are multiple companies called Artfish Life and A-Line, Yeah. Right? Moving that aside, Craig mm-hmm. this work, for example in terms of complete rebranding and taking the term to a completely different place. Yeah, so
3: he would be someone at the evolution meeting who would be not well
0: (laughs) Exactly. So we as a community need to own the term or discard the term. And if we choose to own the term, we need to really own the term. So Inventor, and Inventor thankfully has changed the term that he uses to describe his work now, Perhaps through prodding, poking, what have you, or perhaps because he realized that it had such a negative connotation, as we've already noted. But, I think that the new term one is, a, is an ongoing debate, but unfortunately I think we're all getting older, and things, so we need to think about the term that we have as artificial life, and perhaps how it is our responsibility, not those that have come before us and misused the term and created all this bad faith, to actually start reintegrating the term it's something that we used in a positive light. Does anyone else have anything that we we'll want to say about the negative connotations of the term
3: artificial life? I just have a question about how artificial life is viewed by in, uh, industry people versus biologists. I can see that biologists focus maybe on the artificial part and think, well, this is this things really not real, how do you know that there's signs that, what are the industry people's problem
0: with the artificial life work? I think- Firstly, the, the language is alien to them. So if you look back at the value problem, they're looking for immediate benefit against the problems that they are currently dealing with. So to say artificial life in the context of that is meaningless, and, and without question, I'm going to to that point. So what you have to do then is start describing the underlying components that you're going to use, and even that, which, as I experienced in Netflix, the language is completely alien. So you keep going down, but then you start showing them solutions and once you can start showing them this is what you're doing graphically, this is the new solution graphically, this is the benefits graphically, look down here, it's a color chart, you can see what's going on, these kind of things. You need to basically return it to first principles and you're absolutely right. In industry, the term is meaningless in that context, but as a body of work grows, that is applicable to what they're using it for and if the community is actively acknowledging that it's artificial basically it rises the term up as well. So it is a difficult problem actually within the industry specifically in terms of acknowledgement. But I think if you take the individual component of solutions and then acknowledge it as part of artificial life, then basically the, the term rises. You know, is it one of the problems
2: that when someone that is not really in the industry itself or someone's not in the field stuff or come not in the of the So when I think here the term artificial life in the complete vacuum, what I think of is things that aren't actually happening, which is like these little metallic cells going around and making new ones of themselves, and you know, and there's like, you know, this robotic dog that came up with nothing and things like that. But that's not actually what these is really being used for, or really developed in the industry, despite, you know, how much you want to say that's sort of the direction I'm going. So, it's almost more of a PR problem where you say, hey, I'm working artificial life, and someone just like, well, that's terrible, because you have, you know, you have all these people that believe we have the same state, of life, and, and you have People don't actually know what you're actually doing, so is evolution is, or just like maybe too broad of a term to say this is what actually the benefits of society we're actually creating. really it's more like predictive evolutionary modeling or something like that, which actually sounds like it has been used
0: for So the aspiration part I think is really important, and I certainly think one of the, well, from my surveying of the community, the thing that I like is the aspirational component, because I think that motivates development fundamentally. So I would argue not to lose the aspirational component, we just acknowledge that basically there are artificial life pieces that lead towards the robotic dog. There are artificial life pieces that move towards these things. And the elements of the community and the technology that the community brings basically will move towards that. But considerably more fundamental, there are companies like, well, Google, Apple, these kind of companies that have real world problems that there are artificial life solutions for. And slowly but surely, we're working in that yeah, I
2: think it'd be well. to sort of have more of a dialogue of, hey, this is what we're actually using this for right now, rather than in, in 75 years,
1: we had
0: the hypothetical value of all these small experiments that we're doing now.
2: Okay, so part of the problem is secrecy. I didn't have a
0: slide particularly for secrecy, but I want to talk about secrecy specifically. Because um, when I started doing um, uh, the bio recordings, the internet radio show, uh, for a couple of recordings, a fellow from Lilly called him. Uh, Lilly's relatively close to here. Um and he gave a really interesting account of what Lily was using artificial life for, both with regards to, uh, searching, but also with regards to, well, searching their existing patents and what have you, but also with regards to chemical structure analysis and how they were using chemical structure analysis with artificial life principles to find, uh, possible drug matches, basically. It's an amazing use of artificial life. So after about three call-ins and him being very candid, he dropped off the map. And clearly, he'd said far too much. <laughs> and he defriended me on Facebook and removed me from all the related links and all these kind of things. And my hope was that he might, or others that Lillie really might, be attending this conference. Uh, so. But what you see occasionally, and I get this with Google as well, and, you know, I, not only as an open source project, was used by Apple and Intel, and I still have problems getting the source back from Intel associated at various points. Use within industry is typically going to be very, very secret. And my hope with regards to doing these workshops, and they'll continue through the artificial life conferences to come, is that some of that veil of secrecy will come off. Because I think if you start discovering what artificial life is actively being used for in industry, then you can start promoting it as well. So the Lilly example is absolutely fascinating, because this was three years ago. So if they took what they were doing then, and we kind of progressed three years, particularly with computation, what have you they have be doing some amazing stuff with artificial life currently, but they're not going to be presenting here. They may be presenting at other conferences. They may be explicitly not saying it's artificial life. But I think, as a community, we need to almost have a, an active sensitivity to these kind of principles. And when we see them being used in industry, we reach out to the people that are using them, and we try to cultivate them in terms of a broader discussion.
5: So how, how has um, uh, evolutionary computation genetic algorithms community Solve this because my understanding is I haven't been to Gecko, but my understanding is if you go to one of their conferences, that there is a lot more industry there than there is here. Mm-hmm. These terms are better known and better liked uh, in certain industries than than artificial life. Certainly. So how how they how have they dealt with this? You
0: know, has been very smart. Firstly, they've basically initially selected uh, people that were doing work that was highly applicable to industry, and got them speaking. And also, they've maintained a very strong Artificial life and industry track, which will bring people in. This conference is not. This is my first time attending the Artificial life conference. I've tried to attend previous conferences, and unfortunately, work has not allowed me. Uh, but um, my sense with regards to this conference specifically, and certainly the reason that my background was so interested in me talking at the last one, and also doing this group, is basically bringing some of these industry components into this conference as well. So Gecko as a competing strong elements artificial life conference has been very, very successful, uh, where this conference hasn't been. Uh, but in large part that's because you already have an outreach that is bringing people in and this conference really hasn't done that historically. So the hope is over, you know, five, well, six, eight, ten years that this conference can change as well. To start having some of the draw that Gwent has, because certainly a number of people that I wanted to meet went to Gwent instead, basically, and historically gone to Gwent instead. Um, even MSU graduates who I thought would be here are uh, going to Gwent instead. So yes, it's an acknowledged Where problem.
3: Where
0: is it? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not self, yeah. yeah. So um, yes, it's an acknowledged problem, and I think basically. You have on one side the Artificial Life Conference, and you have uh, ISIL as a as a community as well. And then you have broader communities. I mean, Biota is an artificial life community that is larger than the International Society. And there's a broader community. Still, all the people are doing artificial life that haven't really connected with... So all these things can kind of come together, but it's going to take a long period of time. Gecko has actively sought out the right people. They've been very smart about how they've run the conference, and they've been rewarded accordingly. I'm not going to run any narrative associated with this conference because this point. But it's time to tell But yeah.
3: Is it because of Gecko or something like that that industry, at least my impression is that they're more uh, open to looking at genetic algorithms
0: in their own whatever they're doing in their that, that is part of the problem. Yes. yes. So,
4: anyone have any other, anything else they want
0: to talk about on the acknowledgement problem?
4: I wonder if I'm, I'm trying to think of analogous, analogous organizations that have spun themselves out into industry as a uh, intellectual force. Mm-hmm. Um, things come to mind are like Six Sigma or TQM or some of these other organizations that have specifically said we will train people to be consultants for industry. And I don't know that AI would ever be anything like that, but from a reputation mm-hmm. standpoint some sense to say, ah, well, he was an A-Life consultant. He went in and, and solved their problem with A-Life principles the way presumably people like to sell Six Sigma. I was a Six Sigma black belt. I went in and solved their problem with my principles. Um, I don't know if there's much use to be had from that, but it seems like that's kind of where people have, you know, listening to people talk here, it seems like that's what's lacking
0: It's like kind a- of like, So Java is a good example, and Java is an example that I've had some personal experience with. Is anyone familiar with the history of Java? Not in terms of the kind of Gosling history of Java, but how Java was rolled rolled out to universities. Does anyone have a sense of that? Okay, at before some of your time. The notion of getting widespread language adoption is really quite an interesting thing, and basically what happened with Java was they went to a series of universities, university by university, and said, you don't need to teach C and C++ anymore. Java's the way forward. Change all your curriculum to Java. Here are the books, here are the people, here are the examples. Java is it. Microsoft's followed this. Apple has followed this in some regards all of their own specific languages. But it was a very powerful model because it cleared textbooks off the shelves, and a whole generation basically learned Java instead of historically what historically would have been there previously. I don't necessarily think the artificial life community as a whole can do that, but I think there are certainly things that we can learn from that, which is firstly, we need to generate books if we're going to get into, if we're going to, if, if artificial life is taught to undergraduates, and it is a skill that they take on, then basically the quality of the textbooks, the cost of the textbooks, and the accessibility of the textbooks need to be very different than they are currently. And certainly they did that in South so basically you train a generation associated with the skills and principles, and we're going to talk more about this in the second workshop. But then also you have a group of people that are already highly skilled that are actively able to talk on it and can work independently to do exactly what you're saying. And I think this as a community is going to take you know, a couple of generations' worth of discussion in order to get together, but I think we could actively do that as well. And... Then the rebranding is a kind of you know two or three step process, but with those kind of things in place, and I think it starts with textbooks. It starts with you know getting people prior to entering university. I mean, I'm standing sitting before you as someone who, as a young teenager, picked up books on early artificial life prior to even reaching university. I already had um, you know, cellular automata simulations, bacterial growth models. All these kind of things were things that had permeated my understanding of, firstly, what the future held and a variety of other things based on the skill set that I would need. And somewhere along the line, this has been completely lost in the discussion associated with how the community propagates. But I think Java is very interesting because it was... Get them, you know, at the point of entering university, teach them the skill set, and they will propagate out. At the same time, and I know less about this, the integration of Java in industry was a similar kind of model, but it was very direct. It was very focused It was done nonsense kind of hand-waving kind of stuff. It was just done. And it was done in large part because Sun obviously put a lot of money behind it, a lot of energy behind it. But these things with an open source have been done independently as well. I mean, you can look at things like Apache, a wide variety of open source projects have been able to get adoption, although with links into industry and with streets into industry,
1: also independently
0: too. And I think, you know, we as a community could do that as well. And certainly, my experience going into companies like Apple and Intel, and now working at Netflix, you do get the sense that you're the first in. Basically, you give I do workshops like this at Netflix as well, um, and you get a sense that people have a kind of piecemeal skill set uh, in terms of genetic algorithms, these kind of things, but they've never really connected it together, seen this as a kind of collated group of information, and then looked at how the information within this group and also externally lays, They they build off each other create solutions, um, which, you know, come from fundamentally the body of work of the community. So I think that's a very good point and something that we need to think about and certainly I'll be talking more about that in the next session because I think um, certainly from people that are teaching artificial life currently or thinking about teaching artificial life or looking at the way you know, undergraduate and graduate students pick up artificial life, the needs in industry and understanding that is, is a large part of the problem that needs to be solved currently. So this, um, I don't know necessarily... Uh, does anyone know where Chris Langton is? So, Chris Langton... I don't know how much... Okay, let me, let me think about how we actually got to frame this. Chris Langton invented the term, I think, for probably... Who was it? Maybe Artificial Life 5 or Artificial Life 6? Anyone here? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> when was the last artificial life conference that you saw Chris Langton at? My first initial life was a
5: from
0: Laura Mills, so that would have been I think, after this time already. Okay. So when I, in 2005, I um, picked up bio2.org, I became the editor of the site basically. Um, is I, I know you've heard of the podcast, is anyone else familiar with bio2.org? The bio conferences, any of the legacy? Okay, very good. So, Biota started a conference series that wasn't necessarily in competition with the Artificial Life conference, it just said that Artificial Life is considerably broader, perhaps illustrating some of the problem terms that were described. And that basically, rather than getting together folk that are interested in Artificial Life, we should get a small group of folk that are interested in Artificial Life, and then throw in Douglas Adams and Richard Dawkins and these kind of people. Uh, Technically, Richard Dawkins was part of the Artificial Life community at that stage, but that's a nice story. So you had Mark Badeau, you had uh, Chris Langton, Larry Yeager, all these kind of people came together at the BIOTA conferences as well. They were a far broader community. So my development of BIOTA, like basically from BIOTA to One, I wanted to attend the BIOTA conferences. They seemed slightly more exciting and vibrant potentially than these conferences have been historically. Uh, and the list of people that attended was phenomenal. So when I picked up the editorial duties of uh, BIOTA 2005, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be wonderful to actually get Richard Dawkins talking about artificial life, you know? Wouldn't it be wonderful to get uh, Mark Badeau, Tom Ray, you know, all these names, all these historical names, uh, many of whom still attend these conferences on good day. So I went through name by name, trying to make contact with these people, trying to see if I could get them to talk about artificial life, and trying to see if they'd allow me to record them while they were talking about artificial life. So... I'm giving this kind of an epic tale because it was an epic process. It took me about five years to gather together probably about 60% of the early ALife life conference names that had gone on and bring them into a situation where they were comfortable with being recorded and talking about those processes. Through this period of time, Chris Langton was the one person I wanted to get on more than anyone. He defined define the term, wide variety of other things. So this is unsourced rumour. <laughs> But from a couple of sources, they said that basically Chris Langton was now working on a building site somewhere in New Mexico. You look at someone like Steve Brand, who literally made a small fortune and then lost a small fortune in artificial life, he's living in Arizona in a small apartment. The history of artificial life has a strange kind of been from amazing highs to amazing lows. And within my own experience, I've experienced some of this rock as well, but what you find through here is a group of idealists that haven't had any way of or have had a moment where they've reached out to industry or gotten some degree of success and then all that has basically come crashing down to the point where as I was doing the series I was tracking a community of maybe 100 people and through a period of time about 2009 a majority of those people were unemployed so you have a very <coughs> striking sense in this community that unless you can map your skill set onto something that's very real and maintain work, your quality of life is not going to be particularly good. So I include this slide very importantly because I think the notion of quality of life, and my background in discussing this comes from the game development community. The game development community has separate supply slightly higher than artificial life in terms of general survival. But still, the quality of life is a topic that needs to be discussed. So when you talk about artificial life in industry, my, the first two experiences I gave were the first two experiences I had with Noble 8 going into Apple and Intel. They used the source code. They maintained the source code separately. They made small contributions back to the source code. But what I got through those two interactions was basically street credibility. I knew that I could contact people in Apple and have contacts in Apple that other people don't have. And with regards to Intel, I knew that Noble 8 was being used on the next generation of processors at any given time. They would occasionally, and when I say occasionally, in the case of Apple maybe four times, in the case of Intel two times, and I'm trying to get additional source code, make contributions back. But that was the level of contribution. Yet, speaking of community, my interactions with Apple and Intel are seen as being relatively unique. But they gave me, well, the question is, what benefits did they give through that interaction? And you need to think about this very strongly, particularly in notions of open source, but also what the community means as a whole as a body of work, but also as the individual contributors, in terms of how the individual contributors get value from what they're putting out there as well. And this is a very difficult problem, but it's something that I think needs to be stated explicitly. So, in the case of uh, Apple, very, very minimal contact. Uh, contact. Uh, I spoke to a few engineers on the phone, exchanged emails, got sourced, that was about it. With Intel, I went and gave a talk. I spent about a day with a series of engineers to give a kind of time frame, uh, Intel was putting about four person months per year into Noble 8, by my assessment, by talking to the engineers and also by just the general level of churn. So it's a sizable amount of time. Apple was putting in slightly less, but still a considerable amount of time. Now I now have a full-time uh, roboticist who works on Noble 8 and a part-time person who works on it as well. So in terms of the project now, in terms of my interaction, there are people that are working on it full-time uh, too. But in terms of the value that they got from using Novel A, um, are any of you familiar with Nobel A? Okay. <laughs> right. So Noble A creates a simulated environment, and there are eight like creatures that wander over the simulated environment and interact with the environment, and you get various issues associated with genetic hybridization based on the environment. You also have a social component, they call social networks. Uh if you're interested in attending the um, the life obvious component to kind of bring and show are we showing Novel 8 the pack Apple used Novel 8 for um, tuning certain aspects of their process but also it has a real-time graphics component so you have a very tight mathematical core and real-time graphics that's showing what's going on basically they use, demonstrated that internally they demonstrated a number of their developer conferences and they also distributed it on every Mac that they sold from about 2003. Through to probably about 2010, 2011. So you, in the disk that you got with your Mac, a little bit of it was Noble 8 that you could install if you wanted to. Intel, basically Apple transitioned from the, uh, ultimate processor architecture to SSE. The extension may something to some And in moving that, they basically eliminated the section that had been working on Noble 8 for Apple aside so from a few engineers and moved them over to Intel. Intel picked up that 8 and used it basically for, uh, throttling their processes and throttling various aspects of the memory architecture of their processes as well. So basically they knew that they could get an end-core processor, have it running at full speed and accessing a variety of kinds of memory, and basically they would get a good metric out of it for that. So that's what they used it for. Very little artificial life benefit in that. No or little to no interaction with me no value back to me in terms of when I had to pay for the flights out to actually give the talks, and they added to me, we don't see you in Silicon Valley that often. Pause the thought. So, part of the discussion associated with artificial life in industry is it's very easy to create something that can be used by industry for something which isn't specifically artificial life related, but is used for something that industry needs. The value part of it is actively having an artificial life practitioner Involved in these industries, adding more value throughout the life, basically. The reason Apple picked up Noble 8 was because I, um, I'm a, a transitory body. I don't know what kind of processor architecture I'm going to have access to at any given time. So basically I wrote Noble 8 with the view that it needed to compile on every possible compiler and it needed to work, rather than using configure scripts or what have you, it needed to work instantly. You drop in the source code it compiles. Okay? That is the sole reason I 8 got into Apple. If it wasn't open source, if it wasn't actively worked on, if it didn't compile with the two compilers that they were using at the time, node 8 wouldn't have gotten into Apple. So part of this discussion associated with artificial weapon industry is that Sometimes industry will want aspects of artificial life without actually knowing it's artificial life and for completely different reasons. It looks very good. Um, if if anyone's familiar with Erlang, Erlang, very good, okay. I'm relatively close friends uh, with a very successful Erlang consultant. He goes into uh, companies like Chrysler and he creates training programs and He's always said to me, you could do the same thing with like It would be very easy. You do it like this, 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 this. The nature of going in and getting licensing is very, very different. And it creates a focus. Um, and certainly probably the academics or those that are becoming academics in the room will understand associated with grants. But sometimes you spend all your energy chasing something rather than actually getting it. And I think the real danger with regards to going in, well, even after NodeLake was in Apple, there was a number of interactions that I had with Apple associated with could I get discount Apple computers. It seemed ridiculous to me that if I bought an Apple computer, it would have a CD with my software on it, or that they were demonstrating my software at a conference that cost $2,000 to attend, or a variety of things where they were clearly getting value-added benefit, yet I couldn't access any of that money. So they basically throughout said, well, you know, Value metrics are like this, and this is like this. Finally, I was able to get a friends and family discount on a single machine. So you've got to appreciate that these things look and sound easy, but it takes a degree of work, and you've got to work out where you are in the process, which is why I'm certainly here to advocate integration into large companies rather than forming startups or chasing licenses or these kind of things. Because I think that business model in the current economic climate is just deadly and will basically put you on a building site in New Mexico relatively quickly versus actively going into companies that could be using artificial life and then turning them into companies that aren't using artificial life. So I think the licensing model is difficult and this is a problem how many of you are active contributors to open source? Okay, so how many of you get a sense you could become an open source consultant based on your work with open source. So there's a general myth that open source means consultancy and that's how people make money through open source. It's almost impossible to do. And I think basically the energy of the community is probably better focused in, I don't necessarily want to use the term in infiltrating, but getting into these companies and then creating this technology. So, I think I've covered the slide. Any, any questions associated with quality of life? It does sound particularly bleak. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sometimes you have to do things uh, in order to survive, and I think, um, yeah, maintaining artificial life is part of that is an important process. Uh, if any of you ever meet Chris Langton, uh, please let him know that uh, I'm willing to send him a variety of things if he wants to be Now, this is the interesting part, and this is the deliverables part of uh, of this, associated with the skills required in order to use our fish life in industry. My hope was that there would be people in industry here, and that there would be people who could talk in particular about hard and wet. I can talk somewhat about soft, uh, but hard and wet has slightly different skill sets clearly. My experience with Noble 8 is, um, and it varies dramatically, I'll give you the two extremes. Uh, In the month of May, for example, there were, I think, 15 graduate students that um, contacted me about developing with Noble 8. It goes between about 15 to about one or two a month, but it's of that order. Bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, I really shouldn't give this narrative, let me me rephrase that. Um, They come with a view that they will um, be able to develop something quite exciting with Noblate. And that's not a view that I want to squash in any way. But Eight, compared to uh, people, um, I know people familiar with Avida, or people familiar with Polyworld at all, uh, in terms of the source code, in terms of the general interaction. Um, so when you come to these projects, they are a body of work that has existed for a relatively long period of time. They have eccentricities, And in the case of Vida, they have exceptionally good documentation. In the case of other projects, we're slowly moving in that direction. Um, But you need to be a relatively competent software engineer before you come to a software artificial life project or you take on software artificial life in industry. I use the example of mobile, like, not because it's an example in industry, because it's just an example of our personal experience with. And of the people that actually make source code contributions to NodeWake, they are typically actually people that are working in the industry. The turnaround of even graduate students coming in and actively working on NodeWake is relatively low. The barrier for entry uh, associated with just, I guess, source code block, the same source code, and, you know, the overwhelming sense of, like, lack of connection in context, even with documentation, uh, is something that I find very striking with uh with overlay. So basically, um, the general skills required. What are our thoughts? You're going into a company. Uh, it could be iRobot, which would be a good example for hard. Uh, it could be one of a wide variety of military systems manufacturers in hard artificial life. Uh, in software artificial life, it could be one of the companies that I've mentioned. It could be a small startup. It could be Zynga. Are we familiar with Zynga? Okay. Zynga is a very interesting company, Um, and it's one that um, I'm periodically contacted by startups that behave like Zynga, and the use of artificial life in the kind of games that Zynga produces is just absolutely phenomenal. The ability for, well, the startups, the funny thing about this space, and if any of you are interested in artificial life startups or these kind of things, one of the areas which is still profitable is the space of um, social Facebook interactive gaming. It's phenomenal. It makes no sense to me, but here's how it works. I'll give you the numbers. You take about sixty uh, percent to forty percent uh, advertising, and you take about sixty percent to forty percent, which be the numbers on spread in terms of in-game purchases. You create a relatively and this takes maybe two or three people. You create a relatively colourful interactive environment and then people just come, and they just come, and they just come. Zynga is obviously the first company I think associated with this kind of technology, but there are a number of startups and they're all profitable. So they're profitable enough to have five to ten person teams all being paid very comfortable wages even by Silicon Valley standards. So within the context of a company like Zynga, what artificial skills do you think that are necessary? Like, you know, about web okay. So that is part of the skill set that I would say you'd need to have anyway. You'd basically... The point about going out into industry is not that you're extremely focused and... Uh, Blindingly brilliant associated with artificial life. It is that you have the skill set that industry will take plus this artificial life component. So I think in the case of that, that's a good example associated with this is a skill that you need to have in order to work at Sega, for example. The artificial life component associated that would be beneficial too is well, I mean you could take a wide variety of things from media, you could take a wide variety of things from a variety of the, uh, the, the projects that we mentioned so far and tailor that to a Zynga-specific name. Any thoughts on this? In terms of the Vita <laughs> crew, I'm seeing shaking uh, hands, looking down. What kind of things from a leader do you think would be useful to a Zynga name? OK. Neither have I Okay. that it, actually, which is funny, since I get pro through this video, including it. But the thing that strikes me about them, and um, I've had various friends that have fallen by the wayside associated with Zinger games. Anyone a survivor of related stuff? Okay, maybe not. The idea is basically immersive environments that have certain elements that require long-term play and ultimately incentivize firstly long-term playing and also the collection of objects in order to... So what in a reader could strengthen that?
1: I mean, we're actually kind of making a single-like game using good. Hyperheat. So um, the idea there is that we have uh, these virtual flowers, and you have to take care of them, but their design is created through artificial life means, through these uh, pattern generators. So that way you're kind of creating your own thing, and you can trade it, and sell it, and blah, 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 blah. So I mean, I think having a long-lasting kind of dynamic environment that people can actually affect uh, certainly would help there. Um, generating novelty or generating just variations and, and so forth. That's kind of the, the driving force. It's, in general, like Zanga has a whole bunch of artists basically that they're paying to just kind of churn out uh, different plants for farm bill or whatever. Uh, whereas in, if you used Artificial Life or something like that, you have uh, the opportunity to just let the computer deal with that, and then you can focus your efforts on other that. Certainly. So, in terms of the skill set? Yeah, I guess this question is a little ambiguous. I'm not sure what skills are even in artificial type.
0: So, okay, let's look at long-term simulation and stability, and issues of stability, and issues of the So, what does artificial life teach us about those kind of things? Uh, They must reach equilibrium, otherwise they just crash and fall apart. And what assists with equilibrium? Feedback. Feedback and others. So, uh, have any of you played with credit prices? What sense do you get about manually tuning predator-prey systems with small numbers of predators and small numbers of prey? Um, That's an enormous thing. Exactly. What happens when you add more predators and more prey and you actually create NETA system? Uh, You have a better
3: chance
0: of... of Exactly. So this is a phenomenon that you need to have experientially. You can be told this, but you learn a lot faster if you're actually pulling the leaves yourself. Now, I don't, this is the problem here, is that I come to Artificial Life with fundamentally a hobbyist, experiential industry background, and folks who have been attending Artificial Life conferences probably have a completely different background and a completely different understanding. So, in some regard, what you might be seeing here is a fracturing between what I associate with Artificial Life and what you have, through history, associated with Artificial Life. And I think part of that is going to be talked about in the next workshop, specifically. But basically, what you describe, I think, there are other areas we could find it, but I think is probably even more apparent if you've written and experienced these kind of artificial life simulations. So, through these kind of um, activities in terms of, I mean, particularly for your experiences at the University of Tokyo, for example, in terms of the startup companies that have used artificial life, can you talk about... Any of those? Well, it's
5: not... We're not using any additional light technologies. It's just web service
0: that we use. It's more AI approach. Okay. That's why I'm interested in AI. I don't think the So, in terms, of, in terms of the traditional AI approach with startups, what kind of experience have they had with these startups in terms of how they, how they formed, what percentage... So, are people familiar with Tim Taylor? Tim Taylor's work? My understanding is he might be here, I hope he's here. Tim Taylor basically has gone both in and out of uh, industry and academia. He worked for a period of time um, with a startup associated with trading. Trading is one of the, I mean if you look at the light startup that could succeed relatively rapidly, even in the current economy, Trading is a good example of this, and certainly the the super wealthy that I've met through my experience with life a good portion of them have been associated with trading and looking for improving their trading based on our life principles. So uh, Tim Taylor's experience is very interesting, because he took uh, the stock market and he used models of immune response in modeling the stock market. So if people were here, he would talk more to it, and I don't have the... the- um, he he, he will be here. He's at at least at Yeah, he is. I've, I've been tracking him okay. coming. So, yeah, my hope is he'll probably be at the next session. Okay. Um, so, he'll be able to talk more about that at the next session. But this idea of taking something from artificial life and applying it to industry in a startup can be applicable as well if you understand, firstly, the benefits that your algorithm holds and, secondly, the risks that. So, for example, in, in stock prediction, there is always a group of people that want high risk, high reward. So initially, without fail, if you have even a basic artificial life model, maybe associated with immune response, maybe associated with a wide variety of other biological models to represent the, the stock market, I think the stock market is an amazing artificial life system to study. But that's there. That. You can create a startup which will get investment in this country at least. Tim's problem was based in the UK primarily that we'll have people that are interested in putting their money in if you can show basic rewards associated with using these artificial life principles. But it takes you thinking about the stock market in terms of an artificial life system associated with your artificial life model in order to actually get there. So if you take anything away from basically this workshop, it is just to start thinking dynamically about artificial life and the broadness of artificial life associated with these kind of problems. Not necessarily that you will end up in an artificialized startup doing stock market or working for senior or all these kind of things, but if you start thinking in these ways, you immediately start seeing, firstly, problems that exist the out there that can be very rapidly solved by artificialized solutions. And secondly, you also start thinking about the approach, particularly in the context of the value problem uh, associated with getting those solutions out there. So there are a few people who, unfortunately, can't be at this session, who hopefully one of them won't be able to make it, at least, but some of them will be at the next session who have had some of this experience and they will talk hopefully more to that in the context of teaching um, but it is an interesting problem so in terms of the general skill set required i think probably a good applied sense i mean this is the nature of the problem i was describing associated with predator um, pre-relations and you know life systems you can read about that you can read about it and absorb it but if you've actually experienced it you can talk to it a lot better so, I think probably, and maybe this is feedback to a or, or the, other, the other projects that are here, perhaps starting to think about the components of what you are doing in the context of potentially removing the components or using them externally, but also teaching them in terms of the hands-on, might uh, actually be very useful in terms of the general set. Any other thoughts in terms of general skills? So, some of you raised your hands associated with soft artificial life, some asked for a definition, but that aside, in terms of soft artificial life specifically, what skill sets do you think would be useful in industry? We've already had a couple of examples. Anyone want to throw out a software company? Perhaps one that hasn't been made. Let's say eBay. Type something. What things in artificial life do you think would be applicable to eBay? Okay, so as for the Google example, what does eBay do? Fundamentally. So, in the process of the auction house, um, and I know people who both have worked and worked at eBay. What do you think eBay is striving for currently? Historically, eBay has defined itself in terms of separating you from your junk or bringing more junk to you, right? So the question currently is how does that process evolve? What things are you doing currently that will either separate you with your junk or bring more junk to you? So Lots of this is public knowledge, but think about television, consumption of television. Think about the Antiques Roadshow. Yeah. Does anyone know the Antiques Roadshow? Is that like a, a, a Okay, so what happens on the Antiques Roadshow? When you're done, they tell you exactly. So that interaction is interesting. In terms of someone who just passively watches the Antiques Roadshow, why would you watch a program like the Antiques Roadshow? Because maybe your stuff is worth money. Exactly. It's the hope, potentially, that your junk is actually worth something. And it's the interest in working out what other people's junk is worth, so you potentially might know if your junk is worth something. Okay. How does eBay fit into this problem? for Exactly. So what can artificial life do in this space? Exactly. It, it should make it easier for either you to purchase junk or part with your junk and know things about this interaction, which are either based on your purchases of junk or your knowledge about junk, basically. So, there are two possible models here. Uh, they're both somewhat identified, but l- l- let me give you two examples that I can think of in this context. The first is the interaction with the eBay site. There's a lot of additional information, and it's very similar to the Google example associated with your interaction with the site. That you could use um, certainly elements of adaptive systems, but also certain intelligent agent problems that come from the artificial life community associated with the interaction. So you could super skill the site. Firstly, you've got to appreciate all these sites collecting information, irrespective of Google or eBay or what have you. All of them collect information, vast quantities of information associated with every possible interaction. And that data set, for someone who's interested in artificial life or an active artificial life practitioner, is extremely rich. So if you want a real world model that you then want to simulate with artificial life principles, you already have that data set when you go into these kind of companies. So I overheard coming the Netflix prize smaller data set. The problem with the Netflix prize was it was given out to the public. When you go into these companies, you have access to the data set because you can't close it. Giving it out to the public is a different side. But with that data set, artificial art principles, what's the optimizations you can do? Make sure
4: people see things they're interested in. Certainly. Make sure that their searches give things that are relevant. And if you're selling things, make sure that the tags and descriptions are best suited to get people to do it
0: that will buy. And then if have any of you had the experience on eBay where you've looked to buy something? And very similar to Google, you've gotten pages and pages and pages of stuff that you don't want, pages of stuff that's kind of bulk listed. And then finally, you know, five pages down, you have the heirloom item that you are looking for. So my view is that a variety of principles in artificial life cut through all of that very quickly. And for a company like eBay, and this is what you find with these long-tail companies, they're now in predicaments where they need solutions that will get people faster to what they want to buy rather than pages of unnecessary stuff. And I think there are a number of artificial life solutions that are very interesting in that space. So, but it takes the kind of exercise that we've been doing here today in order to come up with those kind of things. And also, my view is, a large body of work already exists on this. It's just a matter of channeling it to a particular solution. Does anyone else have another software company that they want to play this game with? No? Okay, let's look at a hardware company. Let's look at um, Toyota. What kind of artificial life? Problems. Do you think Toyota has?
3: Driving under serious
0: Exactly. So recently, Toyota has a good example of this, which caused a vast amount of bad publicity. Are we familiar with the problem? Exactly. So the problem that you have in positions, and my background in this many years ago was associated with airlines and these kind of things, that if you want to put in anything that people can't understand absolutely immediately, you have to be able to frame it in a way particularly associated with safety and these kind of things. And I think the hard artificial life space is particularly interesting with these kind of problems, because there are a number of solutions that we could implement very easily, but there's a very different perception of safety in anything that is robotic or uh, interactive uh, and typically and if you think about this context in terms of the military and other areas as well you understand problems associated with hard artificial life are very very specific so how do you think you would deal with safety in an artificial life context
2: To be able to predict what the driver would do in certain situations and how the car can react
0: to minimize damage to the driver in Okay, so the difficulty associated with that is public perception. So you probably could do that internally in Toyota, but if you were ever litigated against and that was written up, you would immediately find problems associated with that. There's a very basic principle here that maybe early morning group. You're driving the car, the car predicts a wide variety of things. You find this in aircraft as well. What is the one factor that guarantees your safety? Human override. Okay, so everything in the context of human override gives a different level of safety, basically. But in the context of this, there are a number of solutions. And when you deal with more abstract robotics... Okay, so let's play... The rumor is a good example. Does anyone know why the rumor is a good example?
4: Because it can't run over you and crush your story? Uh, well, that's a, that's a practical <laughs> When...
0: Does the name Rodney Brooks mean anything to anyone? In terms of an active artificial life art practitioner who has become extraordinarily wealthy based on artificial life art principles over a long period of time, he's a good example. Um, I'm not going to discuss any of the ethics or uh, why the war or any of that additional stuff, because I think that's very problematic, and if we want to talk about Terminator we can. Um, but I think Rodney Brooks, in terms of the rumor and these kind of things, very positive. You were a high robot. What kind of artificial life principles would you use in room? Does anyone own a Roomba? Has anyone talked to anyone who has owned a Roomba? What's the main buff? From the people I've talked to, there seems to be universal floor in the Roomba. It gets clogged, and it becomes useless relatively rapidly, based on that. So, in terms of sensory feedback, there are a wide variety of things that you could do in a Roomba in order to fix those kind of problems. And the interesting thing with Roomba is that um, the pain feedback loop, or the sensory feedback loop, which isn't contained from the environment, but basically will reinforce a wide variety of social protocol. I guess we're somewhat familiar with that somewhere. That is very important with regards to these kind of robots too. That irrespective of the size of the room or um, the kind of obstacles that we'll encounter, um, you know, Vacuuming while a party is going on is not a good idea. Uh, vacuuming while the owner is in a bad mood is probably not a good idea. Um, probably vacuuming while the owner is around in any kind of context is probably a bad idea. Um, you need to be able to factor in these kind of human social elements that you wouldn't naturally get through just an adaptive system, basically. So you need to have these kind of components in there. In terms of uh, hard artificial life problems...
3: Any other theories, any other ideas, any other thoughts? A lot of these seem to involve autonomy, the nature of autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the car problem is it's not an autonomous system. The, the Roomba issue is that it's semi-autonomous and that it works on its own, but it has to be, once you describe, it has to relate to the other potential actors in the environment that may not help it. And so it seems like an important aspect of the hard. As far as how autonomous it is, and we have to consider a social or integrative, that would be the that would be critical to evaluating solutions,
0: getting solutions. So, does anyone want to talk more on that? Because it's a very interesting part. So, in terms of the definition that I gave initially associated with part and stop, there is a great degree of overlap currently, because everything that you've said exists in hard artificial life, but also exists in soft artificial life. There's a huge thing there, and it's absolutely fascinating, basically, because I get feedback from robotics systems and overlap all the time, and it's fascinating. And what interests me as well, not really necessarily part of the topic, is the movement from wet into hard and soft. Now, many of you or a few of you raised your hands associate with wet artificial light. Similar kind of discussion. What what are your thoughts associated with wet artificial light and skills that are needed to work in the field, in an industry? it really depends on what sort of level you're looking at the wet artificial light. On one hand you have your you know on the
2: cell base reaction you know changing out And then you have the other thing there's stuff like TLC screen is doing that, which is you know, more on the, the DNA level of happening uh, right.
0: formation and actually sorting with file modules and sort of it, and sort of artificial life wow. superversion sort of properties coming kind of up. So it really depends on what level you can So in the context not necessarily of social, but of interactive, where do you think that
2: fits into that problem? it's, it's still the same deal you can interact with problems with both levels, But those are completely different
0: skills. Certainly. So what would you think the skills would
2: be? That's the, that's the problem, I mean, you would have to have a very solid understanding of cell molecular biology in order to do anything on the cell level, and of course, you would have a very
1: good understanding of
2: mathematics and biochemistry in order to do things on smaller levels. So I'd say really the it theories are almost two
0: different. So I think the problem with all these definitions is exactly that. And they're expanding continuously, but yeah. I mean, again, returning to the general point that the the skills that you need are a really overwhelmingly good sense of competency in the particular field. Plus, seems to be a a recurring theme through this. In terms of what happens in life in industry, any examples? Any thoughts? So
3: broadly. True. you could imagine that some of the systems where they evolved communities to, bring, to use corn stover and make that
0: In terms of the use in industry, do we have any any additional examples?
3: I don't know whether you call directed evolution of protein
1: function as artificial life. It's more more likely to describe them as protein engineering than directed evolution. So, in terms of software, is software
0: simulation part of any of that?
1: protein-folding games that that one company was using to mm-hmm. develop, you know, smaller proteins. Mm-hmm. Uh, that counts.
0: The linking between hard and soft is very easy because of the software component and the use in code. I think the, inter- the thing that interests me with WET in particular, and this is a periodic discussion with you know, microdose teams and these other people, is the sense of when the same kind of method emerges between soft and wet, then basically the community, you know, fully propagates through the, the interlinking times. I think this is an interesting problem in wet currently, and certainly the framing of that in industry, because you take your average pharmaceutical company, Lily, for example, they already have a lot of money invested in soft-wet linking and the ability to have a language that translates artificial life art concepts from soft to wet and wet to soft Is very, very powerful. That requires the community to actually create that in some regard, or at least link with what exists there currently.
4: It seems like the trend, at least in in the relationship to software and robotics, is we're seeing more of the uh, generalized parts, generalized APIs, hobbyist level innovations, where a person who can write software suddenly doesn't have to have the same level of knowledge of all the idiosyncrasies idiosyncrasies of all of the uh, component-level bits of their robot. You can have a bit of meta-logic to it. We're not there with wet yet.
0: So that's an interesting quote. Um, My assumption is at least one person in the room will be familiar with the chemo grid, but there's lots of other examples of... Uh, hobbyist wet artificial life that's slowly coming through, and certainly the maker environments and these kind of things associated with taking relatively cheap and clunky bits of equipment in order to create wet artificial life simulations that are analogous to simulations to sort of them, but wet artificial life environments that are analogous to the hobbyist artificial life environments for software and hardware is a very interesting area. Um,
2: are we generally familiar with that as a concept? Maybe it's just I don't know too much about the specific systems you're talking about, but uh, this one we talk about sort of a artificial life, it's sort of a barrier of, barrier of training and also equipment. Whereas with software control, like you can if you have a computer that's powerful enough and you can know do some programming is, you can get started with all this documentation and whatnot. But for artificial life, you're talking about a sort of a very specialized skill set very usually quite expensive equipment to sort of get you past the level of your advertisable
0: Okay, so this is the interesting point. The emergence of hobbyist soft artificial life was exactly as you describe it, but from an academic perspective, and I've experienced this with my development of Noble 8, it took about five years for Noble 8 to be viewed as an artificial life project from the academics that were developing the software. And I think perhaps this disconnect may be there in terms of the hobbyist wet artificial life community as well, is that you define wet artificial life in that context, and immediately the hobbyists are part of that. But there are a group of people that are exploring exactly the same kind of issues with considerably clunkier elements, but over a much broader scale. And, and the protein polling is a good example because this is what they want to do. They basically want a series of circumstances with relatively large, clunky fluid baths and heat reduces, but very, very cheaply manufactured that are sent out in kind of component form, very similar actually to the uh, harder, like the hobbyist robotics community is a good example. So by giving it that definition that you need an expensive lab in order to do web artificial life, you immediately disregard the hobbyist community that believe quite strongly that they are doing some aspect of web artificial life through doing something slightly different, but basically for someone at a kind of 10-foot view, appears to be relatively similar.
2: Could you, you, could you give an
0: example? Like okay, so my, my only understanding is with the chemo group, And um, I'm going to say perfectly honestly, I'm... I'm a little bit fuzzy. Well, I understand what they're doing, but I'm a little bit fuzzy in terms of the general connection with White life, which is why I'm hesitant to talk too greatly to your point specifically. But my understanding is that their view is, uh, and again, I share a view with you that it does require a certain degree of sterility in these kind of environments. They argue against that. They argue that basically through probabilistic density, you can, through a number of experiments, basically eliminate contamination. You can noise reduce contamination. I know. I feel the same way. We're one in this regard. But their view is that what you actually do, which is very similar to the obvious robotics community, is that you generate the next generation of people that are going to go to university and learn how to use, um, you know, whatever the latest hardware is. But the view is, I mean, what you're dealing with, and I'm supposed to be writing a chapter for a book on this currently, so I probably should get a better verse on it what you're dealing with is actually a boundary noise condition. So what they are looking at is so many samples and so many uh, methods with a variety of different um, interactions. The, the high noise stuff is basically the noise that you get from you know flux of dust and air and water, polluted water and all these kind of things. And basically you've got to eliminate that layer of noise and the stuff that you get underneath is the interesting thing with regards to weather and life. I'm moderately skeptical. Um, in terms of my uh discussion with folks that do this, they are very much looking at the hobbyist uh robotics community as the model. But they are relatively clunky bits of equipment and they are not dealing with um, any kind of uh you know changing within cells within, you know, that level.
2: So would you say it's something about an manipulation Mm-hmm. Or is it just co-culture that you can do mm-hmm. some problems, with do some other work?
4: Because
2: mm-hmm. at least from my previous understanding of what we were talking about, that would be not called uh, artificial life. It's just, we, it's just grouping some different things. It's
0: just sort of okay. the issue is associated with the interaction associated with the environment, and the other part of this is associated with uh, artificial chemistry and origins of life research as well. So it's not traditional, um, weather, well, traditional weather. It's all weather, artificial light. Uh, but it's taking a series of these elements to create a hobbyist community that is moving towards that. So I'm still, I mean, my connection with it is through a couple of people and a, a book that's being worked on currently. Mm. Um, but my understanding of it is that they are very much modelling the send $25 to this address and get a set of equipment and the USB plug and you can start your own, you know, simple web up experiment. With the view that if that encourages people to go to university and study and become one of the person like you know professionals, it's exactly the same as, you know, the arguments associated with Hardisoft and that like so you you
3: argued that understanding of atomic, it seems like individuality, um, environmental sensing, if those are important concepts that are general to these things, you don't need that energy. But is that just conscious light? Is it? So, I mean, one, presumably, so if the, so you don't make electrons when you do in silico light. You start out with some minimal thing that you're not going to create on your own. So the level at which you are willing to accept that I'm not going to remanufacture a ribosome to have artificial life.
2: But if that's like saying I'm going to make an artificial light program, but I'm not going to write any code. I'm not going to. Fine, don't you can do that. That's I mean, perfectly acceptable. Yeah.
3: It's you, you. Whatever level you pick, that's the, when you go above that, then that's the artificial nature of it. So okay. if you make if you take cells from an algae and make an elephant out of it, right? Somehow, somehow you do something, you don't engineer it, but your algae is now an elephant. It's an artificial elephant in some sense.
2: Well, I just
3: an example, because I would
2: just call it biology. The elements,
0: the changes in the hobbyist community, Associated with very high-level things, UV life, temperature, these kind of things and control over that. So it, it's not just algae elephant, it's algae agitation processes, um, retitering, redividing, you know all these kind of elements that go through it, which makes the hobby component of it me.
4: I think there's a matter of distinction in terms of professional level artificial sure life. If I'm tweaking a bacterium to produce some something I want, and I'm drastically re-engineering its uh, biochemistry or its regulatory mechanism, maybe that qualifies as artificial life. But if all I do is overexpress a gene that makes um, phospholipids, is, is that does that qualify? as But how on? did you do that? You're disregarding how you did well, that. And I, I am deliberately disregarding how I did that because I think the, the distinction, distinction of what qualifies as artificial life goes beyond how I did it. However I got it to overexpress. Does it qualify as
0: artificial Well, life? I would argue that the method that you did in that, if then, you created a simulation, you had a hypothesis, you ran the simulation, you had a parallel, you know, there are a wide variety of ways where, I mean, if you just threw it in and it happened, I'd, I'd have no argument with you, but the process of getting there is
4: potentially... It's the use of the artificial life paradigm that mm-hmm. makes the system artificial life mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. is much the suggestion. No, that's an interesting. Okay. So then it doesn't matter. Again, you could do selection based on um, natural forms of mutation or you could do gene introductions or, or, or pools or whatever. But as long as you start with it, say, well, I'm going to do this from the perspective of a reproduction of an in silico artificial life experiment. It follows.
2: So maybe most we'll of the current uh, sort of functionality of the lab stuff is in support of all these in so modeling that you're doing to sort of verify it in sort of the real world. We can't account for everything I
0: would advise very heavily that one doesn't get passionately focused on a particular definition associated with artificial life as well. And I think that may be what we're actually seeing here in the discussion, is that if you devote yourself to something and you feel that it is a particular thing, in this field in particular, it will be taken away from you very rapidly, or it will just, it will move in a series of things. So you need to be quite comfortable with the fact that your definition for this thing will change, basically, which I think is what we're doing here. So, in terms of the workshop today, with the view that this is going to be an ongoing discussion, and hopefully we will be able to coax people back from Gecko to up- official to- offices to- in the future, are there any thoughts associated with what? Certainly. And I'm, certainly, I mean, that's what I've sensed from, from doing this, that, and that's what I'm going to pass on to the next workshop as well, that that is the only way, basically, you get out of life into industry, is you need to have those kind of thought experiments. And I think also, and it, maybe it was the newness of these ideas in terms of the thought experiments, but if you take away these thought experiments and use them practically, I think it will also benefit your recent, I think there's actually a remarkably interesting relationship between artificial life and industry, potentially, if the academic aspect of artificial life starts thinking very strongly with these kind of thought experiments. And so take away not that they are describing something, you know, not being on be particularly, but I do get that sense with a leader that it needs to be something which is... Reaching out rather than moving in. And these kind of thought experiments come with a wide variety of companies and ideas and problems. Basically changes your understanding and your relationship with what you're working on like fundamentally. I think it's also very healthy as well. Um not returning to Chris Langton, but I mean the, the nature of the history of these people has been that they have thought in rather than out in certain contexts. I think take, please do take away that element. But also think about the very dynamically associated with the things that you're doing. Any other any other points? So I'm interested in Warehouse artificial life particularly because I think the in terms of well the Lily example is an interesting one because my view is that Lily is probably already doing Warehouse artificial life at some level, and my view is if you've
3: never done that. I don't fully understand what the
0: example is. So. I don't understand either, but my sense would be that if they were doing software searches associated with uh, drug compounds and these kind of things, the manipulation of drug compounds and the manipulation of uh, cells and the use that they would need to do within... Okay, so I came to it three years ago. The disclosure that I got three years ago seemed to indicate that they were doing just searches in software. But Lily has the facility to do probably considerably more complicated, um, and again, my knowledge of web is not particularly good, but um, cell injection and a wide variety of, of creation elements that wouldn't exist necessarily in academic labs. They have the funding, they have the computer resources, and they have the internal smarts collectively to do something which is quite phenomenal. My interest is actually getting these kind of companies to talk more publicly about what they're doing. But academically, you have to think that if these industries are already potentially there in terms of equipment, they're potentially also in terms of aspects of research, how do you reach into them, or how do you present things that are of benefit to them? Exactly the same thought experiment that we're playing with regards to eBay, but with regards to, um, you know, particular pharmaceutical factors and these kind of things. And I think those kind of thought experiments can be very beneficial in terms of potentially, I mean, The surveying that I have done has been predominantly associated with soft artificial life, because that's my interest. But if you take away this idea and you start doing surveying associated with where companies are actually giving papers, what they're giving papers on, and potentially whether this indicates that either they're currently doing wet artificial life or they're ideally suited to do wet artificial life, then you have a different kind of, well, you can publish accordingly, you can do um uh, some kind of feeler, interaction accordingly, and you can start to get a sense of basically what is being done. My only ability to do that, very coarse internet radio show, a uh, variety of callers lucky enough to get a fellow from Lily on, you know, two, three of the calls, and talking candidly about the work that he was doing. Your ability to do that is considerably different, but you probably have far better access in terms of papers published, conferences attended, this kind of surveying, to get a clear understanding of what potentially could be out there, or what could they could be doing. So I can only give a hand-waving argument, but I think you understand what that's So what do you feel the next step is from this? We've talked a little bit about what potentially individually you might take away from this, but in terms of the international society, what do you think the international society could do?
4: I think
2: one of of the problems is because the the term artificial life is so broad, it's almost side a lot to discuss the specifics of even where our questions are coming from, especially for the right lab staff. I'm still a little bit confused when you say artificial life, what all of that encompasses. So I think it would be good to drop more sort of examples or, you know, specific research areas that would be really be beneficial to say, hey, this, these are the sets of topics we're actually talking about, whereas when we see artificial intelligence, depending on who you're talking
0: to, they may be thinking of completely different things like that. Without question. The purpose of this initial workshop was to cast the board broad as possible net, with the hope that other people from industry would come in and talk, or be a part. Not quite the case today, but going forward hopefully so. And I think um, your point about that is certainly well understood in the context of this being the first one. My hope is that we can actually develop a track which will actually bring people in and talk, as you say, very specifically to these various areas. And then, as was the success with Gecko, bring more people in accordingly. But as this is the first, basically, I passed it very broad, um, tried to announce some about what it was going to be about, but still, you know, people are here, basically. So yes, certainly the next step from an artificial life conference perspective is exactly as you say, is to cast the net out, bring in more folk, and to actually have a specific track associated with this.
4: What I'd like to see, is I'd like to see a panel, not of AI specialists from industry, but quite the opposite. I'd like to see technical people from industry come in and say, here are economic problems that we would like to solve, that we don't have great solutions we're throwing it out there to you clever people who think about things in terms of artificial life to see if you come up with new and interesting solutions. And because I, I have very little conception of what real economic challenges whether it's a robotics expert or whether it's a, a representative from Eli Lilly or, or what have you I don't know what their problems are. I don't know if I cancel them. I'd love to think that a mm-hmm. new life perspective that I might bring to the table to help. So that
0: was pretty much the context of Biota. And the remit that I've absorbed so far associated with what we are doing here is that um, the group that I head, we attend conferences, we go to them. The chance of us going to them and presenting artificial life and asking for their feedback is far better than them coming to us. And it's actually, and please universally feel empowered to take this away associated with potentially other conferences you attend or, alternatively, please do contact me if you're looking for conferences to attend. My perspective um, within the next year is mainly due to timing, but the Game Developers Conference is going to be one of the conferences that I attend with this purpose. Because I think game development immediately, there's no barrier for entry there. They immediately understand the concepts to some level. They have immediate need. But there are a variety of other conferences that we need to attend. And we need to put ourselves there rather than trying to get them to come to us initially. So, yes, ideally, we would have like new early biota conferences, a group of people that came from outside artificial life to talk about their problems and interact immediately. But unfortunately, practically now, it's probably better that we go to them if you see what I'm saying. Uh, And this doesn't have to happen through conferences as well. It's interesting how you actually get into companies and how you actually get talking to the right people. And that really is something we could discuss now if you're interested in that aspect. Because I think all the companies that have been mentioned and a variety of other companies are open to people coming in and talking. So, um, you can very easily, uh, and all the companies mentioned, and software companies, and I think Lee, Lily as well, will take speakers and thoroughly enjoy having speakers in. So you can actually go into a company. Uh, Netflix is very open, uh, and the, it's amazing the quality of speakers that come through Netflix, and they go through Google, and they go through basically and Mali, and talk about what you're doing. Uh, typically, even by calling the switchboard, they will have a contact person immediately. It should be relatively accessible. If you need contacts within these companies, I can work with you. I'm sure there are others in the community that can work with you. But consider actually going to companies and talking about what you're doing. Uh, think obviously in the context of what they do in some regard, but you can be relatively broad. And certainly I would encourage that. Uh, I think that's a very good way, actually, to create outreach into these uh, kind of companies. So from my perspective, uh, the purpose of today was really to empower you folk to firstly start thinking in terms of these lines, but also potentially uh, going into companies and talking, developing contacts within industry, uh, and using those to first understand the problems that they're trying to solve, and then do the kind of thought experiments that move the problems that you are solving into perhaps better alignment or at least offer solutions within that. Uh, I'm committed, well, I, I hope my professional circumstances are committed as well, uh, to presenting a similar kind of workshop at the next Artificial Life Conference with you that hopefully there'll be people from industry, uh, more people from industry involved. Well. I think the location will probably determine that. Um, in addition, I would like to um, Gather together, well, the work group as it's created currently is just me. I'd like half a dozen folk from doing these workshops to who have their particular interests to get in contact with me after those workshops and continue to work together to you know, gather these ideas and kind of cultivate connections in industry and these kind of things. So if you feel particularly empowered, or if you take away and kind of think about what we've talked about. Uh, and you feel relatively strongly, um, please do get in contact with me. Um, That's the easiest way, tom.labelnet.com. And yeah, we need to continue this discussion forward. I've used audio recordings, and I'm using an audio recording now uh, as a way of getting this information out there. What it does is it reaches people that don't attend conferences primarily but I've had amazing and really quite curious success associated with recording audio. Now it does help that the like Douglas Adams is part of um, the BioPodcast series. So every towel day, I get a new group of folks who come in and, and go through the entire archive and what have you. But with, through that, uh, I've had contact with a wide variety of people, um, primarily in soft, software because that's my particular interest. But a number in robotics and a few, um, like the, the poor fellow who, uh, called it from Lily, uh, in the kind of wet artificial life, or potentially wet artificial life area. But my view is that through audio, initially, uh, and if we want to take this and do a recording or a series of recordings following this, uh, brainstorming, anything to get the seed ideas, uh, that we're communicating out there basically to a broader group of people who can't be here and potentially people who attend in the future. I've been recording audio now for about six years for Bioma. Um, now, thanks to my professional life, not quite as much as I used to. Um, but it creates a resource that uh, undergraduate and graduate students use as well. So the discussions we've had today could potentially be listened to by people in 10, 15, 20 years now, thanks to the Internet Archive. And hopefully some of these elements will progress. but hopefully some of these other elements may be picked up on in the future by people to carry on. Uh, my view is that audio uh, has a particular kind of legacy in this regard. Uh, but, you know, there are a wide variety of other forms. Um, so please do get in contact with me if you have follow-up ideas. Um, like I say, the next uh, workshop, which will be held, I think about one, uh, is specifically talking to teaching artificial life but to empower people. So hopefully folks, who go away from that workshop and spend a couple of years with their graduate, undergraduate students, means that the next workshop, when I say, um, LinkedIn, how does LinkedIn use artificial life principles, I will immediately see people who have had some thought experiment uh, background in these kind of things, and uh, hopefully I won't be presenting at 9.30 in the morning. Um, but anyway, so that's the view uh, in terms of the future. Who here will be attending the teaching component as well? Okay, name, good. Uh, and following that, I will be doing a hobbyist. Um, it's not a workshop, they call it a birds of a feather. The naming conventions associated with these things, they didn't really have anything to describe these. Uh, so a workshop was what was used for the first two. Um, but anyway, I mean, please feel free to attend that as well. and um, I hope that be other folk will be displaying this stuff too. Uh, but anyway, I think we're out early, or we're out just on time. So thank you all very much.